0: If you have your Bible, uh, Bibles in, or if you access the scriptures through the, the YouVersion app, you can go ahead and find your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 down to verse 21. And uh, we're jumping into the second week of our, our series, uh, our Christmas focus, as we go through the month of December. And we started last week. And the whole concept of this series is, is based around what, what this season is traditionally called as the Advent season. And Advent really has to do with the anticipation in the coming of Jesus, And so obviously that happened 2,000 years ago, but we celebrate that today, excuse me. And so what we're doing is, traditionally there's four themes that run through the Christmas season, and last week we talked about the first one, which was how Jesus in his coming brings hope to our lives. This week we're going to shift to the second one, which is the concept of peace, and talk about what does peace look like, and and the, the context of this series is really important, that when Jesus gives gifts to us, when he brings things to bear in our lives, he never gives it only to us but he gives it so that we can give it away. So it's the receiving and the giving. We usually get the idea of the receiving part, but we don't necessarily understand that there's a whole other avenue of us giving away what God has given to us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that and and talk about the concept of peace. And when I say peace, there's a lot of different kind of ideas or concepts that probably come to mind. Um, It could be kind of the traditional kind of uh, definition of peace is to be calm in the midst of a storm. So there's peace in you, but there's not peace around you, which there's elements to peace that, that is true. But, but to really understand what peace is, especially when Jesus comes as a human being, and he lives a perfect life, and he dies on the cross, and he rises from the dead, what, what he brings as far as peace is a lot deeper than that. Because he deals with the core issue that's true for all humanity, and that's this. To experience peace at any level of your life, you have to be at peace with God. That is the bottom line. And the reason that we find ourselves and our world in turmoil is because at the core, each one of us who struggles with peace is dealing with a relational issue with the God of the universe that we're not, and we'll talk about this today, we're not reconciled, we're not right with him. And that influences and affects everything that we experience. In fact, this is something that that is, is not a new concept. This is a really old concept. In fact, it's the old Hebrew concept that goes back to the Old Testament, and it's the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is not just this kind of I feel good in the in the midst of bad circumstances. Shalom is the context where everything is as it's supposed to be, as it was created to be. So if you go back to the beginning of time, we won't go back to the Book of Genesis, but if you go back to the beginning of time, you go back to When Adam and Eve first walked the the, the planet, before they made their decision that all of us make, which was, if you remember, when, when they ate of the fruit, they were saying to God, I'll determine for myself what's right or wrong, what's good and bad. I don't need your help, God. And so there was a disconnect that they experienced. But before that point, they lived in Shalom, which means everything was as it was supposed to be. They were right with God. They were right with each other. They were right with creation. But the moment that they made the decision to disconnect from God... That's when everything started to unravel, and that's why we live in the world that we live in, because all of us at one time or another in our life, we make the same kind of decision where we will disconnect from the reality of who God God is to do it on our own. So the concept of peace comes when Jesus, and we'll talk about this from the passage we'll look at, actually reconnects us back to God so that we can actually be fully who he created us to be. Apart from that connection, we can never be who God created us to be. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we receive that kind of peace from God, but then how, how we're also supposed to extend the kind, that kind of peace to other people that are around us, and it becomes a part of how we live our lives. So if, like I mentioned, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 16 down to verse 21. So the Apostle Paul writes this, and we'll, we'll get some explanation as we go through the passage. He says in verse 16, he says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh we don't use human eyes to see people anymore even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh which means a soft Christ in his uh, a human form through human eyes we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world not counting or to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know there's a lot in there, but we're just kind to kind of walk through there and see, see what's revealed to us. So... Before I go into the first three things, this talks about how we experience peace from God and be at peace with God, I want us to understand the concept that, that Paul writes about here is the concept of reconciliation. And we don't use that term a lot unless we're, we're talking about some broken relationships. But reconciliation is the core issue for every human being because God has, is in the process of reconciling us because we've become unreconciled. And we're going to talk a little bit about this morning that we deal a lot on the surface with issues that we have in our life and challenges that other people have with their life in terms of God and church and religion that is just the surface what they're not really what we don't really deal with is that we have a relational issue. We don't have a morality issue. We don't have a belief issue. We have a relational issue. A relational issue with God and until that issue is dealt with, we can never find peace in our lives. So Jesus makes way for peace to come through reconciliation, which is the reconnecting with us back to God. So there's three things that happen when reconciliation happens in our life. What we receive when we embrace Jesus, when we confess our sin, we surrender our life to him, there's three things that happen in this process of getting reconnected to God. The first one is this, that you and I end up with a new attitude, and it's not like an attitude like I'm copying a bad attitude. It's a new attitude in terms of the way we live our life. It's a new way of looking at life. Because this is what Paul says. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though at once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is he talking about? Before you knew Christ, or if you're in that place where you haven't made a commitment to follow Christ, you view God and you view Jesus with a certain lens. And that lens is your human flesh. So everything runs through that lens, so you, you don't see the supernatural, you don't see the power of God, you don't even see the use for Jesus, you don't understand it in a while because you're seeing from a human perspective that sees Jesus maybe as a guy who was here 2,000 years ago, but I don't even know if I buy that. And there's this human reality that, so he was a guy who was a good teacher, maybe he was a prophet, but he wasn't necessarily going to change anything about my life. That's a human perspective, that's the, that's the predominant culture. People have a positive view of Jesus, but not that he's going to do anything to change their life or their reality. But then what Paul says, but then when you get reconnected with God, you now see Jesus as the key element for your life that reconnects you to God, to, that forgives you for your sin, that pays for your sin on the cross. You see him in a whole new way. You have a new attitude, a new kind of uh, position of looking at things. And so now actually things that never made sense to you before, they actually become clear to you. And when that, when that happens, you understand something that you miss all the time, that God's motivation in doing everything that he's ever done in human history is motivated by one thing. God loves human beings. And he's gone to great lengths to demonstrate that. And when you see that through the, the clarity of understanding who Jesus is, that's why the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The concept is this. It changes our understanding of who God is through Jesus. And why is that so important? Well, because what happens is that you and I struggle to understand God because for most of us who don't know Jesus, the struggle is this. All we think of God is that he's trying to get us to comply or to be kind of forced to live a certain way, a certain morality, a certain... Uh, Right and wrong, good and bad And so we feel like, man, God's always trying to cramp my style He's always trying to control my life He's always trying to ruin things But because what? That's a human perspective Until you realize Jesus coming into the world demonstrates God's profound love And when we learn the love of God And then we learn to love God Listen to what it says in John chapter 14, verse 15 Jesus says this If you love me, what will happen? You will obey what I command Listen, this is the important thing. We focus on behavior, God focuses on love. So Jesus doesn't come to people and say, hey, get your act together, do these things. No, he says, if you really understand what it is for me to love you and you to love me, then what happens is when God says this is what your life's supposed to look like, you and I have, we we shift, we change. We change, our default is usually no. When God pushes in our life and we feel something that God may be doing, our normal default is like, no, no, we push back. That's our flesh, but what is... What changes is we understand that God actually loves me, I have a new attitude, a new perspective, so what do I do? I trust that God knows what's best for me, so I say yes. This is what Paul was talking about, this shift in perspective. Now it makes sense to me, now I know why Jesus came, now I know why he died, now I know that God loves me, therefore when God asks me to be obedient, it isn't some burden that I have to carry, it's the joy of doing and, and living out the life that God created me to live, it's a shift. And that's it, we'll talk a little bit more in a minute about this, but this is why our culture doesn't get God, because we, the church, have to be careful. We have set up God as only concerned with your morality, and until you get your morality right, you don't get access to God, which is not true. God's default is love. The morality thing comes later, why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, then what will you do? You'll be a moral person. You'll be somebody who reflects who I am, who lives the life I created them to live. Why? Because you know that you're loved. So there's this shift. The first thing, when we get reconnected with God, we we see things differently. Second thing is in verse 17, we actually get a new life, a new life that's actually an old life. So Paul writes this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means that God has restored and reconnected us. uh, Jesus restored and connected us back to God. And because of that, this is what happens. What was done with Adam and Eve eating the fruit and what is done by our decision to reject God is now undone in our lives. Why is it so significant? The new life that you and I get in giving our life to Jesus is actually the life that we were originally supposed to live. It's the life that is, is no longer controlled and dominated by our own sin and our own rebellion against God. So what happens is it's the restoration to a life that we're supposed to live and being reconciled to God means for the first time in your life, you actually know what it means to be human. You know what it is to be God's creation. In fact, it, it's, it gives you the capacity to live to the fullest of what God has created you as a human being to be. Why? Because the one issue that all of us struggle with is that we're not at peace with God, that the moment we're at peace with God, we start to understand a glimpse of what our life is supposed to look like. It changes our priorities, it changes everything. But so many people who have done amazing things in this world, could you imagine if their life was reconciled with God, what more God could have accomplished in them? Why, because they lived in the fullness of their humanity the way God created them. That's the new life that God has for us. And if we're to embrace that, that means that we live out and experience things that many of us haven't even tasted yet Because we're living in the wrong context with the wrong attitude, the wrong perspective. We're pushing back on God, we're fighting against God, and God's saying, just give up. I know what's best for you, I know how you will flourish. I know why, because I created you. And we're fighting the very person who's gonna help us the most. God creates the right context in this new life for us to live the way we're supposed to live. So pardon me if you're not a football fan, but you'll have to follow with me on this one, okay? I am a Rams fan. LA Rams fan, I have been since I was a kid, even though they broke my heart twice when they moved to Anaheim and they moved to St. Louis, and then when they came back, thank God they came back, right? So some of you are thinking, no, I know some of you are Raider fans, we'll pray for you, okay? So the Raiders aren't in LA anymore, are they? And they're not even moving back to LA, they're going to Las Vegas, so we'll definitely pray for you. So, but the Rams have been back in LA over the last number of seasons, and when they first came back, they were terrible. One of the worst teams in the NFL. And, and no, no shade on him, but, but Jeff Fisher was the coach, and he inherited, he got some stuff that wasn't working well, and he, he when they came to L.A., the first season, they were terrible, but that year, the, there was this, this great hope that the Rams were going to turn it around because they got the number one pick in the draft, and they drafted a guy named Jared Goff out of the University of California, and Jared Goff's a good, great quarterback at the college level, and so people thought, oh, we got Jared Goff, we're going to be great, except for the first year, Jared Goff was horrible. He's terrible, actually probably one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, and the Rams are one of the worst teams, and so everyone was like, what in the world just happened? We we picked him number one, he's supposed to be our salvation, and now he's bad, the team is bad, and then eventually what happened as a result is Jeff Fisher lost his job. So now the Rams move to LA, they're going to build a new stadium, you want to sell lots of tickets, so your team actually has to win, that's just kind of a connection the way it works, and then a guy by the name of Sean McVay gets hired, youngest at that time, youngest NFL head coach in the history of the sport. And so people were like shaking their head, why are you you hiring this guy? The first season that Sean McVay took over, suddenly Jared Goff became a different player. It wasn't that somehow he actually learned how to play football, he knew how to do that. But Sean McVay did something that Jeff Fisher didn't know how to do. Sean McVay created an offense in a context that actually played to the strengths of Jared Goff and do what he could do as a quarterback. And so over the last three years, he went from being the worst quarterback to one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Why? Because of context. Because of a coach that knew how to help him use the abilities that he had to the fullest so that he could show the fullest of his potential at the the role he's playing as quarterback. So Jared Goff, in a sense, owes a lot to who? Sean McVay. If he doesn't get the right coach, he doesn't find the right context, and he never becomes who he is. The same thing is true for humanity with God. God created us and says, listen, this is how you're supposed to be human. This is how you're supposed to live. Yeah, for some people, it looks like a bunch of rules, but it's not. It's a context that says, this is how you flourish as a human being. It's the new life I created you to live, which is actually the old life that you lost when you rejected me, and I'm trying to restore that back to you, and if you will embrace that, you'll have peace with me, and you'll be able to live the life I created you to live. I, am, I can guarantee there are Jared Goffs in this room that your life has been a con... It's not that all of your problems will disappear if you give your life to Jesus, but you will experience something about being at peace with God that will influence everything about who you are as a human being. But you have to be willing to embrace him. So you get this new attitude. You get a new life. And then there's a third thing. Look at verse 19, the first part. You establish a new relationship, a new context for the way you relate to God. So Paul goes on and says, that is this, he says... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Why is that so significant? Because before you give your life to Jesus, and even some of us after we give our life to Jesus, this is the way we think we relate to God. God is constantly keeping track of every time I mess up. God has this little ledger in heaven that's always taking tally of every single moment of failure in my life, and he's holding that for this moment in my life where he just throws it all back in my face. Jesus actually counters that because when he comes, we'll talk about it in a moment, and he actually what takes on every moment of failure and sin and brokenness in our life to his account, pays for it so that no longer does God look at us as sinners. He looks at us as what? Righteous. But we don't believe that. Because we don't believe that, we don't live at peace with God. Why? Because we're constant. This is, this is the cultural like, kind of like, disposition towards God, and I've encountered so many people, God is just pissed off. That's how he's portrayed. He's just angry, judgmental, and he doesn't really care. But you know, what's funny is people say, well, Jesus was a kind, compassionate man, but God is angry. But Jesus is God. And Jesus reflects the nature of God. And for God so loved the world, he did what? He sent his son. See, some of us still think that God has the tally, but if you've given your life to Jesus, that tally of your sin is gone. It disappears. Jesus paid for it. But see, we we think that, we're convinced, and that's why it's really interesting. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, people call it the love chapter. It is the biblical definition of what is called agape love. That's the God kind of love. And it lists a number of different things that are true of love. And one of those things, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's actually that term there is an accounting term. It's like a ledger that just constantly records everything. But the love of God doesn't have a ledger. It doesn't keep track. Because why? The sin that we have is now on Jesus' account, not on a past, present, future. Which means the way I relate to God relationally now is not as a sinner, not as a broken person, not as somebody who's always afraid that God's always mad and disappointed at me, but somebody who is righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because what Jesus has done for me. That changes everything. Can you imagine what it would be like to feel when you wake up in the morning that God's not angry at you, even though you failed the night before? If you bring your failure to him and you confess it and you give it over to him, what does it say? He doesn't keep record of your wrong. He moves you forward. And that's the kind of peace that you and I have to have is that to have that kind of peace relationally with God, that God's not constantly upset with me. We talked about this last week. Remember God's disposition, God's default is what? Mercy. Otherwise, God would have given up on humanity a long time ago but he continues to pursue us, he continues to connect with us, why? Because he wants us to be at peace, and if we are reconciled with God, there's a peace that comes internally with us, begins to influence everything about our lives. The way we look at ourselves, the way we look at the world, the way that we relate to people around us. Now I wanna shift and talk a little bit, but if that's the peace that comes to us through reconciliation, then what does it mean for us to be people who are reconciled, who are right with God? What What is now our role, and what is our life supposed to look like? Look at verse 20, here's kind of the transition. Paul says this, therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So then Paul shifts and gives us a title. You're an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative for another nation or another individual. and They go on behalf of somebody. And so what is, what is Paul saying? Now you have, who have been reconciled, you're at peace with God. Guess what your life is about now? Now you're ambassador of God's reconciliation. That means that our lives are about Seeing God reconcile us and seeing God reconcile the world around us through us. Because he's come to us to flow through us. As I mentioned earlier, this is the number one issue for humanity. Is that we live in a world that is broken because it's not reconciled back to God. Creation is broken because it's not reconciled back to God. People are broken because they're disconnected from God. We're broken because we're disconnected from God. When we find our way back to God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his payment for our sin we find what it is to actually live the way we're supposed to live. We recapture a a glimpse of the shalom that Adam and Eve had for a short period of time, which they weren't warring with God. They weren't warring with each other. There was peace on earth, which is why Jesus comes to establish what? Peace on earth. How does that happen in the lives of human beings? So if that's the case, what does that look like? What does it look like to be an ambassador of reconciliation? How do I give the peace of God away that I've experienced in my life? Verse 18, the first thing is this. Understand that reconciliation becomes our purpose. That's not a train. That's rain in California. It sounds like that when it hits the roof. So I don't believe there's any leaks, but we'll find out shortly, right? So our purpose is is this thing called reconciliation. Listen to verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, giving us, and here it is, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Because the word ministry throws everybody off. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I'm not in ministry. I'm not called. I'm, that's not my job. That's not my profession. Let's just change it. The simplest translation of ministry is service. So our service is the service of reconciliation, which means I'm supposed to serve. The purpose of my life is to serve God and other people in the world to help them be reconnected to God or be reconciled. That is the purpose of my life that 's the purpose of all of our lives. See this is what 's really important. So many times people say well i 'm not called. Well, if you said yes to jesus you 've been called because you 've been reconciled, and you 're in the process of being reconciled, and therefore your job now is to actually be that for other people and this is why it 's so important in our world because the world is dying not for a professional person who's in ministry, has a calling, and does that for a living to come and tell them that God loves them, and they're disconnected from him, and their life could be different if they reconnected through Jesus, that is the responsibility of every single person who's ever given their life to Jesus, and that's important for us, that's important for our world, because this becomes the primary goal and focus of our lives, because the power of God's reconciliation flows through his people, not through specific individuals, but through all of his people. I want you to shift and I want you to think about this for a moment because things that flow have power. Things that stop grow stagnant. So I want you to use this here's an illustration of a dam. So take a look at this picture. This is the Bonneville Dam and this dam is just outside of Portland and I visited many, many times when we were living up in Oregon. And this is one of many hydroelectric dams that are on the Columbia River that flows out to the Pacific Ocean. And if you, they've estimated that if you take all of the power that is produced by simply a river being harnessed to run through these turbines that turn, that produces electricity, they have estimated that all those dams combined on one river in our country produce enough for 35 million homes annually just by the power of water. And that's because they've understood that when you harness the power of something as it flows, it becomes more powerful. Now, if a dam just creates, just it stops water, then that water goes stagnant. Eventually, that dam may not be able to hold the water. But when you harness the power of water, as it flows through, it becomes more powerful. The same thing is true with God's work in us. God never worked in us to come to an end or to put a period at the end of our lives. He's worked to us so he can work through us. The power of reconciliation comes through our lives. Because what happens when you talk about, even though you may not be perfect, you you're talk about in your life how you know in your brokenness you constantly come back to God, He gives you mercy, He provides forgiveness, you confess your sin, you strive to move forward. What happens is when you share that journey with other people, they understand that there is hope for their lives, there is peace that they can experience, why it's harnessed by the power of reconciliation in your life. And this is what the world's dying to have. We have a relational issue in our culture that people just don't know that God loves them because we're too busy telling them how wrong they are for their behavior, which Jesus didn't do. Jesus never started on the basis of behavior except with religious people. But with people who didn't have a connection with God, he started with a relational connection with them, the issue that was at the core. That's what changes everything. And so this becomes the purpose of our life. So many times we will ask the question, ask this question, what's God's will for my life? The better question is, what's God's will for the world? Because it starts with that, and then we fit ourselves into that reality. So that's the question that I ask myself all the time. What's God's will for the world? Which means, what's God's will for my neighborhood? What's God's will for Simi Valley? What's God's will for the city that I live in? This is so important, because one of the things that we tend to forget is that when we come to Christ, we try to isolate ourselves from the world, and that is the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus spent all his time in the world, and that means that, that there's a shift. In fact, this is something that's even not new to the New Testament and Jesus. This is something that even God wanted his people to do. So if you go back to the Old Testament, you don't have to turn there. But if you've been in the church, the, the second to John 3:16, there's another popular verse that we, no offense, we misquote. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. We, we pull it out of the context, which is most of us will know. It's I know the plans that God has for me, plans to prosper me, not to harm me, give me a hope in a future. And we're like, oh, it's a great verse. You, you miss the force of what's being said because you pull it out of the context. Who was that spoken to? A group of people who had lost everything. A group of people who had, were exiled into Babylon, and they're living in a foreign country that is their enemy, where the customs, and the language, and the food, and everything is foreign to them. They want to isolate themselves. They want to pull back from this evil place that has brought judgment on them, and this is what God, just, God says to them. He says, you're supposed to live in the city as though the city belongs to you. You're supposed to plant vineyards, you're supposed to marry, you're supposed to have households, you're supposed to do all the things, you're supposed to invest in the city that you're living in, even though you think that you hate it, why? Because as the city goes, so you go, which means you can't live reconciled to God and live in an unreconciled city. You can't do it. Because the reason that you live in Simi Valley or Park or Thousand Oaks or wherever you live is because God loves people in that city and he wants them to be reconciled back to him through Jesus, and that's why you're there. Can you imagine if we just, from what, this is what I've been talking about probably for five or six years in our church. If we got this concept, our city would be different because it isn't for a handful of people to try to reconcile Simi Valley. It's for all of us. And what does that look? That means one person at a time. Can you, can you intentionally love one person and be in their life until God opens the door for them to understand that they're unreconciled and they can be reconnected to God through Jesus? Can you do that? Yes, we can. Because I know it's a bad word. It's sad. It's become a bad word in the church. It's the word evangelism. Oh, don't say that word, Pastor John. Because usually we're like, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I don't have to do that. Fine. None of us are evangelists. But we're all supposed to do it. Why? Because we love people. Because God loves people. So when you're in your neighborhood, the neighbors that irritate you, guess why you're there? To love them. Like our neighbor just on the their their backyard backs up to our side, side of our house and they moved in on a couple months ago. I haven't had a chance to get to meet them. But two weeks ago they decided to buy a little yippie dog. <laughs> and that dog barks at everything. I mean, I I walk out my back to go to dump something in the trash, and I don't make any noise, and he starts barking right away. I'll just be honest, part of me thought, well, I could put a rat trap with some decon. It could fall <laughs> over the wall and you know, just Okay, anybody feel like you like, I just want that. I don't like little yippee dogs. I like bigger dogs that if they bark, it sounds like a dog, right? But why am I there? Not to kill their little yippee dog, but to care for them, to love them. One of the things that that we have done, Kim and I and our kids too, for a number of different times, but right now we've been doing this about a year and a half. We intentionally go after a local business in our city and we frequent that place to get to know the owner to get to know the employees and get to know the people that are there. And every time we go, we pray. We pray that God would bless the business and we get to know, we've been doing that for a business for about a year and a half. We got to know the owner really, really well. And we pray for him every time. And I've told him, we're praying for your business to be blessed. He knows I'm a pastor. He doesn't get all weirded out by that, but we are are seeing God start to do things in his life and his business, and we're praying for him. Because I'm convinced one of these days, the Holy Spirit's gonna work on him in such a way he's gonna realize, okay, I know what's missing in my life. I don't have peace with God. And then I'll be there to explain what it looks like to have peace with God. Can you make a commitment for one person? This is the commitment we called people to over a year and a half ago when we started Resurgence. Remember that? We asked that over that year that we did nine months of how do you build relationship with your neighbors with people around you. Why? For one purpose. There's a person that God's calling you. And once you, that person's reached, then you reach another person. This is how we're going to change our city. And I've been I'm presenting this to our church for, for years. People come to church, invite people to candlelight service, invite people to church, but you know the majority of people are not finding Jesus in the church. They're finding Jesus in their living rooms, on the street, in their jobs, and at school. That's why, because the church is the church outside the four walls. That's what Jesus did, and that's what he's calling us to Why? We're ambassadors of reconciliation. It is the purpose of our lives. If it weren't, then Jesus would have saved us and taken us out of the world. But we're still here, because there's still people who don't know how much God loves them. Second thing, an ambassador of reconciliation, this peace that God wants to bring through us, means that reconciliation actually becomes our message, becomes the primary focus. Verse 19 going out says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that is this understanding that God is reconciling everything, everyone, all of creation, back to him through Jesus. This is our message, and this is important. Because what is our message? What is your message to somebody who doesn't know Jesus in the world? What is the message that we present as the church? Is it reconciliation? Is the fact that God loves you? Is it the fact that Jesus died for all of the world? Or is it God doesn't love you because of this lifestyle or this behavior or whatever it is? How do, how, what are we presenting? What is the message that the world gets from us? Last time I checked in the media, it's not reconciliation. It's us against them. It's the good people and the bad people. But if we've experienced reconciliation and God's taken bad people like us and he's reconciled us and reconnected us back to God so that we have peace with God and we can be who we're supposed to be, don't we owe it to the people around us to give him the same message? The same message that came to us is that God actually loves you And God's been trying to get your attention your entire life. And that's what, in fact, that's what Paul writes in Acts 17. He actually says that God chooses the times and places for people to live for one reason. So they'll reach out for God and they'll find him. He orchestrates all of our lives for a moment where he can get a hold of us and we can realize that God loves us and God has a new life for us to live. That has to be our message. Because when somebody finds out that God is not a God who stands up in heaven and just keeps record of wrongs, is looking at how he can crush them and frustrate them, but he's a God that actually loves them and has given everything, including his own son, to die for them, everything changes when somebody knows that they're loved. So Kim, every once in a while, she kind of figures out a way to get me to watch some of the certain shows she likes that are a little bit more on the feeling side, even though my wife is amazing. She can watch an action movie with me, and then she can flip over to watch Hallmark. I can't make the transition to Hallmark very well, but she can go between both worlds, and I don't know how she does it. But every once in a while, she'll get me to watch shows, and I'm like, ah, I don't want to watch that. And I'm like, Oh, that looks kind of interesting. And so one of the shows she's been watching lately is called Long Lost Family, and it's actually the reason we started watching because we foster and we kind of know about adoption and things like that. And so... So she, every once in a while, like, she'll start watching it, and I'll be busy doing something, and I'll, like, I'll stop what I'm doing, and I'm like, oh, wow. And I'll, I'll get her to film me, and what's, what's the storyline here? And it's interesting when you watch that show, not all of them, but the, the majority, the strong majority of what happens in those scenarios is an adult is trying to find out where they came from. They either knew they were adopted or they discovered, in fact, people have discovered through taking like Ancestry and 23andMe, the DNA test, they realize, oh my gosh, I was adopted or I didn't know where I came from because I'm not related to my parents. And then their whole world falls apart. And so this is what happens is the assumption that most adults make that either were adopted or didn't know where they came from is that somebody rejected me. Somebody hated me, somebody didn't love me. And therefore, because of that, that, they take on that identity. Now, this is not true for all of them, but the majority of them, this is what happens. As they unfold the story, as they work their way through finding their history, and they find either a living sibling or their parents are still alive, most of the stories unfold this way. It wasn't, had nothing to do with their parents didn't love them. It's their parents made the bad decisions in their life that they either lost custody, or it was a single parent who couldn't, couldn't sustain three or four kids in a household, so they had to give up their children and in some situations it actually them giving up their child was actually the more loving thing to do than for them to keep their child and when these adults discover that it changes everything because the narrative in their life has been somebody rejected me somebody rejected me i'm not valuable i'm not important i'm not acceptable and then when they realize that's been a lie their whole life they realize that somebody actually did love me at one point in circumstances didn't work out for it to be, but I realized that somebody did care for me. It changes their value. It changes their understanding. It changes their world. We live in a world where the majority of people don't know that the God of the universe who created them and brought them into the world actually loves them. And if they knew that, it would change everything, that God actually loves me. He's not constantly and eternally disappointed with me and mad at me and angry at me. No, he loves you. That's why he sent his son into the world to demonstrate to the world how much he loves us. And that has to be our message. Jesus always led with love. Why do we lead with behavior and morality? Jesus takes care of behavior and morality after somebody realizes they're loved. And it changes the way we live our life. Then there's a third thing. Being an ambassador of reconciliation brings peace to us and others. We understand that our recon- reconciliation is actually our identity. It's our identity, it's who we are. It says this in verse 21 Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is Paul talking about? He's saying that Jesus became the offering, the lamb, the sacrifice that took on our sin so that we didn't have to. This is what's crazy. Jesus takes on our sin and brokenness, even though we're guilty of it. He takes it on his account. He suffers the worst horrific death a human being can suffer in crucifixion. And in that moment, he takes on all the sin of all of humanity for all the time, for all time, for past, present, future. And here's the crazy part, is that he takes our sin on, and then after he dies and he rises from the dead, this is what he does. He says, now I'll give you my righteousness. I've been preaching this for a long time. I've been believing this for a long time, but I still don't understand it. I don't understand how the God of the universe loves people so much that he will take all the garbage of our life, the worst of who we are, and he'll take it on himself as though he's guilty of it, and then in exchange, he gives us the purity and the righteousness of who he is, so when the Father looks down at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees our righteousness. That's crazy, but that's what this is saying. Jesus did that for us, and this is the truth of reconciliation. It is the identity. We Our identity is I'm reconciled before God. It's who I am. I'm right with God because of what Jesus has done. Not because I've done it, because Jesus has done it. And if that is my identity, then there's a way that I live my life that comes out of who I am. In fact, I'll, I'll take some time, I wanna walk through some comparisons, but I'll end with kind of a plug, but it's some understanding, some stuff that we're gonna do in the New Year, it's really important. But in, in my, my time as a pastor and a leader and, and counseling people and, and working with people, I've discovered there is one core issue that seems to relate to so much of our problems, so much of our addiction, our failures, our sins, our brokenness. It's the fact that we don't know who we are. It's our identity. Our identity dictates so much of who we are. We make decisions on based on who we think we are, not necessarily who we really are. And if we understand who we are, and that's why it's so important, that's why the Bible tells us that you are a child of God. That's why that when, when Jesus was baptized and he comes up out of the water, the voice from heaven said, What? Well, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What our primary identity is, I belong to God. Right. And you don't, you, when you're a child of a parent, you never cease to be a child of that parent. And when you're a, a child of the God who's perfect, whose love is unconditional, you're always his child and you're always loved. And if that that is true for us, that means that we live out of that identity. It changes the way we live our life. We see ourselves as acceptable. We see ourselves as loved. And therefore, we live that. If we see ourselves as rejected, as not valuable, then we live accordingly. We live as though our life is worthless and the lives of others are worthless. Therefore, we live life, what, selfishly for ourselves. Because if I can't care about myself, I'm not going to care about anybody else. But God cares deeply for us. So let me just give you some comparisons because this is the core issue and this is why it's so important is if we live reconciled lives at peace with God, we have the potential to shape everything around us, to touch the lives of everybody around us. Why? Because we're living out the identity that God has given us. So let me just compare these two. So if we are living in the identity that God says is true, if you've given your life to Jesus, you surrender life, you confess your sin, Jesus forgives you and you move forward in what the life he has for you, that new life, then you're considered reconciled or you're righteous before God. So what does your life look like? Well, the opposite is if you reject God and you continue to live the way you wanna live, which is falling short and being sinful and being in failure, then you live a different way. What's the comparison? If you're righteous and reconciled, you and I would live secure. Which means that the opposite is when you're living disconnected from God, no peace, no reconciliation, we live insecure lives. Security in that, in what? That every single day that I live my life, God loves me and accepts me. What if I actually believed that? What if I realized I didn't have to earn God's favor? I didn't have to earn God's love. I didn't have to jump through hoops, but God chose unconditionally to choose to love me. What if I actually believed that? I would be secure. I wouldn't have to strive for things. I wouldn't have to have tension and turmoil in my life. Why? Because I know that God loves me. And God has already made that clear that he loves me. In fact, he's done it on his terms, not on my terms. Jesus did it for me. So I can't earn more of God's love than what he's already given me. So I live to secure in that. But if I am not secure in that, if I don't believe that, then what am I? I'm always striving to make sure I'm valid, that I'm sufficient, that I'm acceptable, that I'm good enough to God and good enough to other people. That's what creates tension in our lives, because we're disconnected from God, we're trying to constantly earn something from other people. And if you live a life like that, you know that it never works. You're never good enough, you never achieve enough. There's always somebody who's never gonna get you what you think you're le- learning for, why? Because your identity is wrapped up in them, not in who God says you are. The other thing is true, when you're righteous, you actually can be humble. Because you know that everything you have you owe to who? God. Not false humility, true humility. But the other side is that if you and I don't, then we have to fight for ourselves. And when you fight for yourselves to compensate for insecurities, what do you and I do? Pride. That's what pride is. It's an overcompensation from being insecure. I feel like a failure, I don't feel good, so I'm gonna make sure everybody thinks differently of me, so I'm gonna do the opposite of what I feel. That's what pride is. And that's tension, and that's unrest, and that's a lack of peace. Can you imagine what life would be like to be free from that anxiety? I don't have that tension in me. Why? Because I know that if I have a perfect day, God loves me, and if I have the worst day of my life, God still loves me because God doesn't define me by my worst moment. He forgives me for my worst moment, and he chooses to love me and accept me. That's the other tension. If I'm living reconciled and right with God, I'm accepted. If I'm uncycled with, with God, I feel rejected. And that drives so much. When you feel accepted, you're safe, You're who you are. When you've rejected, you're on guard and you have to constantly compensate for trying to get people to accept you. Just I want you to imagine what would it be like to feel the relief of the inner tension that so many of us have, that we try to compensate on the outside to make sure that people think we're okay. What would it be like to not have that? What would it be like to live in a world where that's not true? where everybody lives at peace and lives out who they fully are in their humanity because why they're at peace with God, so they're in peace eternally, so they're at peace in their relationships with people, they're in peace with all these things. What would that be like? I don't know. I don't think I've ever lived in a world like that. But that's the kind of world that God created us to live in. That's the new life he wants us to experience, that we live at that kind of peace so other people experience that peace as well. So I want to close with a couple things and one of them says, this is kind of, Twofold. It's kind of an application. It's also kind of a plug for something that's coming in the new year, and I want everyone to be fully aware of it because there's going to be a timeline on it. So in October, we had our men's retreat, and the guys that went know that every guy who went to the men's retreat came back profoundly impacted by what we experienced. So there was a guy named Jamie Winship who talked about what it is to live out in your true identity, and he, he talked about how you hear from God and how in hearing from God, you know who you are, and then you can live out the identity that God has given you in, in that security. And it created such a stir, I know, in the guys that went. They shared it with other people, and especially they shared it with their spouses. And I got a lot of pushback, like, hey, ladies are like, uh, hello, what about us? Don't we get to be a part of this? And the answer is absolutely yes. So we actually are partnering together with seven churches, and we're bringing Jamie. Jamie lives up in Seattle. He's going to come back down in February. So you're going to write this date down, February 29th. We have a one-day, all-day with Jamie Winship, four men and women it's not here because we can't house it. It's, we don't have enough space, but it's at a church in Santa Clarita from 9 a.m. to 5.30. Child care is going to be free, including lunch for your kids. so all day long because we want people to access it. It's 10 bucks for adults. It's really cheap, but that just covers the basic costs. But a reason I'm saying this now is because there is so much interest among the churches, it's going to fill up fast. We start registration this week, and so when you, if you get the weekly update, you will get a registration link. If you don't, you want to sign up for it today, but we will actually start registration next Sunday. I'm telling you this because it's first come, first serve, and I want to beat out all the other churches, okay? Because <laughs> I love other churches, but I love you guys more, and I want us all, anyone who wants to go, to be a part of that because our identity is tied to so much, and if we live out the identity that God has given us and we're secure in that, it will touch so many aspects of our life that we keep trying to deal with on the surface we haven't gotten to the core of it. So that's coming up and you'll hear more information about that. So I'm gonna ask you if you just do something really simple. We're gonna conclude here in a little bit. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes because there's some points of application that I want you to, to kinda unpack in your own lives. So God loves each one of us so much that he sent Jesus into the world to recapture what we lost originally. And that is that God created each one of us to be right with him, to be at peace with him. And he knows that we are flawed human beings and that we struggle and that even in our best efforts, we still fall short. But he loves us so much that he still wants relationship with us even though we're flawed and failed. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus came into the world in the form of a human being so he could live a life just like a human being supposed to live, but to live what it is to fully be human because Jesus lived without failure. And he showed us this is what it is to flourish. This is what it is to be human. This is what it is to be right with God and to live as a human being. Jesus demonstrated that. But not only that, because he knew that we weren't perfect, that his death on the cross allowed us to unload baggage of our failure our sin, our lack of morality, our lack of good choices our lack of wisdom and in unloading that and giving it to Jesus in return when we confess those things, the Bible says this, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from everything that is unrighteous so that you and I can live before god right with him now if you're here today and and maybe in your life you know that you've had the acknowledgement of there is a god and even some understanding of who jesus is but you know in your life you have never surrendered you've never given up you've maybe tried to add god into your life to try to make some of your problems go away or maybe life a little bit better But Jesus wants a relationship with you that requires you to surrender everything because he's all in, and so he wants you to be all in. And if you've never come to that place in your life today, today's the day that you can say, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to surrender all of my efforts to try to make my life into what it's supposed to be. All of my failed efforts things that I've tried to do to make myself happy or fulfilled or to flourish, I'm gonna surrender all of those. I'm gonna confess my sin. I'm gonna give all of the garbage over to him, ask for his forgiveness, and then begin to glimpse at the new life that he has for me. If that's your desire this morning, then I'm gonna encourage you. In a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna encourage you to pray because here's the thing that's true. God hears you, and he is present, and even in your own thoughts, he knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're speaking, and he's waiting to hear your voice. And as I pray, I'm gonna ask that you would pray, that you would just simply say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life, I'm giving up my life, and I'm choosing to follow you and no longer follow myself. I confess my sin, I give it over to you, and ask that you would give me a new life. But if there's those of us that are here that you've done that before, and you've experienced a moment of that reconciliation with God, but you've, somewhere down the line, you've disconnected again, you've tried to do it on your own, You've You've wandered off and God is again calling you back because reconciliation doesn't happen just once it happens over and over again that God is calling you back he's saying once again be reconciled back hear his voice today and come back to him confess your sin give it over to him so that you might experience freedom but then there's a last category of people I just wanted to mention this is so important if our purpose our message our identity is reconciliation That means that we as followers of Jesus, if that's the commitment you make, we are not allowed to live unreconciled lives. We are not allowed to live in broken relationships. We're not allowed to live with offense with other people because God has called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, so that means today if you're here and you know that you are living at odds with somebody, you're living in a broken relationship, maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something they did, You have been reconciled with God. You have peace with God. And so now God is saying it's time for you to extend the same reconciliation, the same peace to others. So I know God's faithful and he'll highlight people even right now as you're sitting here that you know, okay, yeah, that's a broken relationship. And in your flesh, you'll want to say, oh, well, they did this to me and I... God says, no, we did this to Jesus and he willingly gave his life for us. So God says, you to, you're to be the ambassador of reconciliation. You're to, one, to be the one that, to go first and initiate. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He reminds us that even if the other person doesn't respond and they don't reciprocate in the reconciliation process, he says this, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. So I'm going to encourage you that you would make that step this week to go and make your relationship right to extend forgiveness to somebody who's wronged you and not do, do exactly what God does, not hold record of wrongs, but as you extend forgiveness, you release that person and you bring freedom to their lives. So Jesus, whether it's for the first time or once again, or the extending of mercy and grace and reconciliation to others, would you give us the courage to say yes to you for those... Lord, who have not committed their lives to you, but their desires today, would you hear their words right now? Would you hear their thoughts and their desire to surrender their lives to you in such a way, Lord, that their lives would be new, their lives would be right, they would exchange their sin and brokenness for your righteousness. And for those of us to become disconnected, would you help us to find our way back into once again accepting your forgiveness, accepting your righteousness, and then, Lord, give us the courage to be reconcilers. That when we offend each other, Lord, because we do, we're human, that we would be the ones that go quickly to make sure that our relationships are right with each other. We are reconciled because, Lord, you have done so much to reconcile us. So give us that courage so that this Christmas season especially, Lord, that we can be not only ones who receive peace, but ones who give it away to people around us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.